0: Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. So I'm going to read Psalm 23 to you again today, and then we'll finish the last half of it. And uh, famous psalm, I love it. It's been great for me to have a couple of weeks in here just studying it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord uh, forever. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Uh, Lord Jesus, we do pray for you to return soon. And we see that prayer in your word in the book of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Your people need it. This world needs it. And I pray that you would help us as a church to be a shining light in this dark world the many out there who are deceived and walking without you and brokenness. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit more and more. Help us to be more and more devoted to you and to walk closer and closer with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was going to go straight to uh, verse three there, uh, paths of righteousness. I want to, that's going to kind of be my first point today, but a friend of mine from here in the church this week on uh, on Tuesday, you know, you can always learn more. And he sends me this link. He's like, you got to check out this link and that's to a guy, he's, a, he's an expert in Middle East, you know, geography and archaeology and history. And he does some work for Zondervan and some of the, the big things. really good guy. And he sent me this link, and, and he was talking about um, the fact that when we think of green pastures, when we think of uh, shepherds and sheep and flocks and pastures, so when we read Psalm 23, we have a particular uh, picture in our mind of what that means. Because we have a particular picture in our mind of shepherds and sheep and pastors. And our picture is actually very different. And so I learned a lot this week. And I've got a bunch of pictures for you. Because I know you guys like pictures. And uh, at least I do. And so when we think of sheep and pastors, I don't know about you guys. Maybe I'm just ignorant. But this is generally what I tend to think of. Okay? Lots of lush green grass as far as the eye can see. Um, if you want to go to the next picture there, Darlene, uh, you know, there's the shepherds. This is a National Geographic photo. Uh, the shepherd doesn't even have to really lead the sheep because there's grass everywhere. So, in fact, uh, many times in our picture actually of sheep and pastures here in the West, uh, we we're thinking because we could, you know, th- we're in the West, so we think of uh, kind of Western uh, sheep. I was going to say herding. I don't think it's herding. Farming, whatever it is. Sheeping. Um, we think of this kind of a picture which is lush grass everywhere, food as far as the sheep can see. The shepherd actually does not, in this picture, even need to lead the sheep. Notice he isn't leading them, he's standing in the middle of them. In the picture I showed you before, they're just scattered everywhere because they actually don't need to follow the shepherd because they can just eat as much as they want. Wherever they go, they're going to end up uh, with food. You want to go to the next one? I think sometimes when we think of sheep... Pretty pictures like this, it's kind of like there's shade, there's nice grass. If you want to go to the next one there, I just got a couple like this. It's kind of like we almost have an idea in some of the Western literature, it's like shepherds are actually a bit lazy. You know, just find a spot in the shade, sit down, because again, there's food everywhere. There's shade, it's green grass, it's pastures, it's all of that. I'll just leave you with one last uh, thought here in our pictures. So kind of for us, shepherding is this, cute little lambs, uh, food as far as the eye can see, the shepherd's very happy, and it's a very kind of nice life, okay? Now, the thing I learned this week is that sheeping, okay, shepherding in the Middle East is nothing like any of the pictures I just showed you. It's like zero. In fact, when David says green pastures in Psalm 23, that's the, it's the green pastures that brings up, that evokes some of these pictures for us. His picture of what a green pasture is is absolutely different than ours. And when you see this, it actually just changes the whole tone and tenor of how we feel about Psalm 23 when we read it. So I want to show you now a few pictures of not Western shepherding, but Middle East shepherding, okay? This is where sheep graze in the Middle East. Now some of you are going, where's the grass? <laughs> are these rock-eating sheep? When I first started looking this up, I thought, those are sheep in the, in the Middle East. Like, those are tough sheep, Okay, they're eating gravel. You can't really see on this picture, but see, this is, here's the thing you have to understand with the Middle East. The Middle East is very, the geography and the climate is totally different than here. So in the West, when we think of shepherding and, and sheep and flocks of sheep in Europe and North America, we think of pastures. In the Middle East, it's very arid. It's very dry. The only places that are lush, there, there's not many of them. They're usually close to rivers or lakes. And those, those areas that are lush are very precious. You don't waste them on sheep. You use them for farming, okay? And you don't, farmers don't want the sheep in their fields eating their alfalfa, right? So the little bit of land you have that is very moist and green and lush, in the Middle East, that's used for farming. It's not used for sheep. This is the land of the shepherd, okay? I'll just put up a couple of more. You're going to see this. This is the land of the shepherd. Now, again, you don't even see what are they able to eat there. If you can look at it closer... Uh, what happens there is in these arid regions that are very rocky, uh, little bits of moisture will collect in the cracks beside the rocks. And so what you'll get is these little handfuls, tender shoots of grass, growing up around each of the rocks, okay? And so that's what the sheep are eating. And so, now you'll notice, if you want to go to the next uh, picture, I can't remember what order they are, so there's a bit more. And again, it doesn't really show up, but there's, you'll just see little patches of grass everywhere. And if you just keep, uh, go to the next one. I think the next one is the one I wanted to, yeah, okay. So this is a typical scene in the Middle East. You've got the shepherd out in front, and they're always moving. Notice in our picture, in Western shepherding, again, the shepherd could be sitting under a tree. He could be standing in the middle of the flock, and they just kind of scatter wherever they want to go because basically in our Western picture of a shepherd, is the shepherd's job is basically to keep wolves away. In terms of leading the sheep, the sheep don't need to be led because there's as much food as they can eat wherever they want to go. Okay? But in the Middle East, shepherding is very different. The shepherd does not stand in the middle of the sheep and the sheep can just go find where they want to graze. The shepherd, they're constantly moving because there isn't enough food in one spot for them to get enough to eat. So he's constantly leading them and you'll see them on these hillsides the shepherd's always moving, they're leading, and the sheep are strung out in a line, and they're actually moving along the hillside following him. They can't stop moving because they'll run out of food. And so if you go to the next uh, picture, they actually wear these trails. Some of these trails, uh, uh, in the, the research I was doing, some of these trails go back thousands of years. They might almost go back to the time of Abraham. They've been cut into these rocky hills by, by sheep, by many, many flocks of sheep over thousands of years. And, and what happens is these little trails that are cut by the sheep are kind of perfectly spaced so that on one path, a sheep can reach to the middle of this one, another sheep can reach the middle of this one, and they can perfectly graze all that little, those little bits of grass from the whole hill. Okay? And so when you understand this picture of shepherding, it totally changes our picture of Psalm 23, um, because, and, and this is really important because when David wrote Psalm 23, he had a particular picture in mind that he was using to relate to God so we could learn something about God and our relation to God. If we have a totally different picture of shepherding, we miss out on a lot of that picture. And so a couple of really important lessons that we get out of this, first of all, is in Psalm 23 when David talks about sheep and shepherds, and there again is just more of those trails. It's amazing. They just cut right into the rock. Uh, over many, many, many uh, years and centuries. Um, But the first thing is, um, when we think of our picture of of shepherding and sheep, first of all, the importance of day-to-day following is we lose it. Because in our picture, a sheep actually, as long as the shepherd's looking out for wolves, a sheep could wander off for a couple of weeks and be fine in those green pastures. But in the Middle East, a sheep doesn't last a day or two if they wander off from the shepherd. In the Middle East, a sheep follows the shepherd every single day. It must follow. If it doesn't follow, it will die. The second thing is, when Psalm 23 talks about, you know, I shall not want, and we talked about some of the aspects of I shall not want, we talked a little bit, and the green pastors, when the promise in Psalm 23 is not that God's going to plunk you down somewhere, and you're just going to have an abundance for the rest of your life, and you'll never have to follow him again. When David says that you shall not want, when he says that he leads us into green pastures, what he means is today he's going to lead you into that place where you'll have just enough for today. And tomorrow you'll have to follow him again. And if you follow him every day, he'll make sure you have enough. But not so much that you won't need him again tomorrow. And so it's really a powerful picture when you understand how shepherds and sheep function in the Middle East, it's a powerful picture of actually our utter need for God day to day to day to walk with Him. So really powerful. And as we go through the rest of this chapter now, we need to let that picture of shepherds and sheep uh, just inform everything we do in Psalm 23. To me, it just makes it come alive even more. That I, we just need Jesus every single day. We need to cultivate that humble de, uh, just need and, and desire for him every single day to follow him in humility every day. Alright, so last week we looked at two promises. There's many more promises in Psalm 23 than we can cover yesterday, or last week and, and this week. But last week we looked at two promises. Uh, I shall not want, and he will restore my soul. Today I want to look at a couple more. The third promise I want to look at, we're just picking up from last week, uh, verse 3, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So the, th- the third promise i want to look at, again, it's not the third promise, there's many, many promises inherent in this chapter, but the third one I'm looking at, that I'm picking out here uh, from this chapter is that if you follow the Lord like a sheep, day to day you follow him, and you love him, and you depend on him, he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. He's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. Now, this is one of those promises. Last week we looked at, you know, he restores my soul and I shall not want. Those are, those are more kind of glitzy, spectacular promises for some people. It's like, yeah, I need that. I'm right in the middle of, of needing some stuff and I love that I shall not want. I love that he's going to take care of me. That's an easy promise for anyone to grab a hold of. Also, he restores my soul. Many of us in a busy world and tons of stuff going on, we have a hard time quieting ourselves. He restores my soul. That's a great promise we can grab onto. That's amazing when I come to he leads me in paths of righteousness this is one of those promises that you either get it or you don't some people look at that and they go oh I so crave that and other people kind of go me like like well, what's the big deal paths of righteousness right why is paths of righteousness uh, such a good thing clearly this is something David wanted I mean, this is his psalm. He's writing his worship. He's writing his gratitude. And one of the things he is so grateful to God for is he says, I'm so thankful that you lead me in paths of righteousness. And those of you who walk closely with the Lord, you know this desire for righteousness as well. It's not something you just automatically necessarily have as a human being. This is one of those things, if you walk with Jesus and you know him, the closer you get to him, the more wonderful this promise is. And if you're far from the Lord and you don't really walk with him that closely and it's just sort of whatever, you're sort of into the things of this world, then this promise is sort of, meh, paths of righteousness, what's the big deal? But the closer you walk with Jesus, the more his spirit rubs off on you the more his spirit illuminates who you are without him, the more you look inside at yourself in his presence and without condemnation, but you see things there like anger and impatience and lust and and selfishness, and the more you're close to him in his purity, he is so wonderful and holy, and you fall in love with that holiness, the more it's like, Lord Jesus, lead me in paths of righteousness. You begin to realize that righteousness is actually one of the best gifts he could ever give you. And a promise here that David has is if you follow him like a Middle East sheep, not like a Western sheep that can just do whatever it wants for days at a time and not really need the shepherd, but if you follow him and you need him day to day, he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness over time. And I I love that it's a path of righteousness. He doesn't snap his finger and you're righteous, but he's going to lead you over time. He's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. He's going to grow you in purity. He's going to grow you in love. He's going to grow you in joy. He's going to grow you in courage. He's going to grow you in integrity. And the closer you get to him, the more you want those traits because you realize, as we talked about a little bit the other week, uh, holiness is happiness. See, righteousness isn't about a bunch of burdensome do's and don'ts. Some of us have this wrong concept. When we think of righteousness and holiness, righteousness and holiness is all about the do's and don'ts. It's about how many hours a day do you pray. It's about, you know, don't dance, don't listen to secular music, you know, don't, you know, and it's do's and don'ts and it's rules. And that's what we think of righteousness as me, how spiritual am I in my do's and don'ts. But that's not what righteousness is at all. Righteousness is God is a good God. And he is holy and pure. And it's actually beautiful. When we see him someday in his holiness and purity, we will love that purity so much. It is just so spectacular. And in his goodness, he created us to function in that goodness just like he is. And so when we function according to his goodness and his laws, it's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about God says, here's a, you know, God's law is not, God's like, you know what? I created these people. I don't want them to be bored. I got to give them something to do. So I'm going to randomly come up with some stuff just to make them feel guilty and keep them on their toes. Not, a, not any of the laws in here are about that. Amen. The laws in here are all about who he is and how he made you to function. When you function within these, that actually is happiness. It actually is happiness. I used the example a couple of weeks ago of my, of my van. My minivan runs on gas. And if I, don't, if I would put anything else other than gas in there, if I put Kool-Aid in there, or if I put diesel, it's not going to run. In fact, if I put Kool-Aid in there, it's going to probably destroy the engine. Like, it's, it's going to wreck it, okay? So, now, I don't complain about that, like, oh, this ridiculous van manufacturer made it run on gas instead of Kool-Aid. I just, I know how this, they made it to run on gas, I put gas in there, it runs nicely. I don't put gas in there, it doesn't run nicely. Same thing, our Creator is good, He made us for good purposes, He made you to function a certain way. When you function that way, you function in wholeness. When you function in wholeness, that's what joy and happiness is, they just come out of that. You're functioning the way you're supposed to in God's goodness. So what is sin? Sin isn't just God made this random list of do's and don'ts and I don't want to do them so I do something else. Sin is actually brokenness because this is the way, the equivalent of sin would be me putting Kool-Aid in my van, it's going to wreck it. It's not a random thing, it's what, it just doesn't work that way. So God in his goodness made us to be good. And he knew that was for our good and it was for the the good of the way he made everything. And that's happy and joy and love and peace and integrity and courage and all that sort of stuff. And he made everything for a purpose. Families and and sex and everything is for a purpose according to how he designed in here. And we only function properly when we're there. So what is sin? Sin isn't me just saying I want to do a different thing than this set of things. Sin is brokenness me functioning in ways that are not good, that are not according to the way he made me, which is why Romans, we just went through that whole series on Romans, but Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Now, first of all, there's a sense in which the wages of sin is death because, excuse me, because there's judgment at the end, okay? So certainly part of the wages of sin is death is referring uh, to God's judgment at the end of, at the end of history, but also, there's more to it than just judgment. The wages of sin is death, in the same way that the wages of me putting something other than gasoline in my van is going to break it. In the same way, sin by definition is brokenness. If I engage in it, I will be broken. That's what sin is. It's me not functioning according to the way God in His goodness designed me to function. Okay? Now, of course, the, the difference, a little bit the difference here is if If I put something other than gas in my van, I'm going to notice right away, and it's going to be broken right away. Here's the thing that tricks us with sin. I function in sin, and sin might even give me a short-term pleasure. And I might not see, I won't necessarily see myself functioning in brokenness immediately. It's more like a disease. It might work over months or even years before it really works itself out, but it's killing me the whole time. The other thing that's different about sin than my analogy with the van and the gas is this. Sin has so infected me that it's also infected my desires. When it comes to my van, I don't desire to put Kool-Aid in my van. Okay? There's not even, it doesn't cross my mind when I go to the gas station. Maybe I'll put in diesel this time. It does not cross my mind. I only want to put in gas because gas is the only thing that works. Here's where it's different for us. Sin has so infected us, it's infected also our desires. So that we now want to put Kool-Aid into our van, so to speak. And it's deceived me, so now the things that actually make me function the way that God wants me to function, I don't want those things. I think these things will make me happier. And so I pursue these things, and in many cases, because sin has affected my desires, I will get a short-term pleasure out of them. But it doesn't change the fact that they're killing me. When Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, it is categorical. There is no exception. If I live a life of sin, it's killing me. It is brokenness. If I go against the purposes for which you made me. So, this puts us in a big quandary, okay? A quandary, that's a good word, okay? This puts me in a big quandary. Here's the thing. Ultimately, if I want to be happy, I've got to pursue God and I've got to pursue a life of holiness. Because ultimately, as I live in wholeness, it's going to bear the fruit of joy in my life. But here's the quandary. Ultimately, if I want to be happy, I've got to pursue holiness. In the short term, however, if I pursue my personal happiness, because my happiness has been stained by sin, ultimately, if I pursue holiness, I'm going to be happy. But if in the short term, I pursue happiness instead of holiness, I'm actually going to end up in a mess. Because I can't trust my feelings to tell me what is right, because they're they're stained by sin. Does that make sense? I can't trust my feelings. Ultimately, I will experience more happiness if I follow holiness, but in the short term, I can't tell what holiness is by my feelings because my feelings have been twisted and stained by sin, which brings us back to something very important here in Psalm 23. It says this, why does God, why does it tell us God leads us in paths of righteousness? Here's why. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is really important. Now, ultimately, God cares about my happiness very much. And if when I pursue him in holiness, I'm going to experience the fullness of his happiness. Okay? But in the short term, David knows I'm not, if I think I'm on the path of righteousness because I'm just pursuing some short-term happiness, I'm actually going to get messed up because my feelings will deceive me about what is right. So in the short term, when I need a signpost of how am I living my life, When I need a signpost, this is the thing I need to remember. He is leading me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's only when I put his name first and his glory first, that's when I'm going to make the hard choices of holiness. Ultimately, that's going to lead to my happiness, but I'm not in the short term going to pursue my happiness because I could get deceived. So in the short term, it says this, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Well, and for the long term, his glory is so important just as it stands anyway. But he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's for his glory. We're actually living for his glory. Now, this is exactly the opposite of how our culture teaches us and many Christians have been sucked right into it. Our culture teaches us whatever makes you feel good Whatever comes naturally to you, whatever it is that you really, that just makes you feel happiness right now, that's the right thing for you to do. But here's what we learn here. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I cannot experience true happiness until I put his glory above my happiness. Until I put my number one priority in every decision I'm not thinking now, but what does this make me feel? I'm thinking about His holiness. I'm thinking about His name. I'm actually not living for myself. I'm living for Him. It's only then that I can experience, ultimately, true happiness. This impacts so many things. I think of how many people I've talked to over the years who have left their marriages because they're not in love anymore. And if you're sitting here today and you've been divorced, this the point isn't to heap guilt on you. What's in the past is in the past many cases, you've repented, you've dealt with stuff, it's fine, I'm not heaping guilt. I'm just talking about something that we commonly see. But you can have two Christian people, and one person leaves the other one because they're not, they don't feel like they're in love anymore. And somehow, their feeling of being in love has dictated to them what they should do. It's exactly at moments like that. Is it hard to stay in a hard marriage? Absolutely. And we have this inner band, like I've got to get out of it because it's too hard, I'm not happy, and I need to be happy in life. Our culture has taught us you must be happy all the time. But the thing is this if you don't live for His name's sake, if you make your decisions based on what's easy and what makes you feel good now, it always ends up in brokenness and unhappiness later. It always does it always does. So in order for long-term happiness, I've got to in a moment say, I'm going to not live for my happiness. I'm going to live for his name's sake. How do I give him glory in this situation? I mean, it's the same with the culture of abortion in our our culture too. The culture of abortion is created by this this short-term thing. And again, I'm not heaping guilt on those of you here who've had an abortion and that's in the past and you confess it and God is so good he forgives anything if anybody will repent. I mean, he forgave David of murder and adultery. That's amazing. But this culture of abortion tells us, hey, a woman gets pregnant. She didn't plan it. Well, that's going to ruin her plans, right? She can't do this. She can't do that. It's going to be a lot of work. She wasn't ready for it financially, blah, 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 blah. So let's just kill the baby. No, 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 no. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It's not about what's easy. It's not about what comes naturally. It's not about what's going to be happy in the short term. It's about his namesake. I make my decisions to stay in this marriage, to keep this baby, to do all kinds of hard things because I'm living for his namesake in every situation. And when I do that, there's a long-term benefit, which is joy. Galatians 5 verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love. And look at that next one, joy, which is true happiness. The fruit of the Spirit, if I try to grasp it, I won't find it. But if I long-term invest and live for His name's sake, I will experience joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. This is the paradoxical thing about life in God's kingdom. The more you chase your personal happiness, the more elusive it will become. But when you give it up and say, I'm living for your glory, that's when you get it. Look at Luke chapter 9. Jesus said this, and he, that's Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Okay? So right there, Jesus said, life is not about chasing your personal happiness. But this is the paradoxical way his kingdom works. When you do that, you find happiness. Look at verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And we could put in there as a sub-point, for whoever would save his happiness will lose it. But whoever loses his happiness for my sake, who will live for my name's sake. That's Psalm 23. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. As a sub point, whoever loses his happiness because they're going to live for my glory, they're going to make the hard decisions, he'll actually ultimately save his happiness. It's the hard things in life that will make you blessed. And so we're left with this wonderful promise. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And if you follow him day after day, he is going to give you the fruit of the spirit, which is joy. He is going to grow you. And some of you, you feel like, you feel so hopeless, like I can never get over my anger problem, my impatience problem, my lust problem, my selfishness problem. There's all these things. This is a wonderful promise. If you will follow the shepherd every day, just like a Middle East sheep, every day I just need him. And sometimes, sometimes it doesn't feel like much, but I just get just enough. But if I follow him day by day, if over the years, over the months, He is going to lead me in paths of righteousness. He's going to change me from the inside out. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now, of course, while He's leading you in paths of righteousness, and in order to grow you in paths of righteousness, the paths of righteousness sometimes go places we don't want to go. And the next verse says this Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so He's leading me on the path of righteousness and I'm following Him, wait a minute, how did I end up in the valley of the shadow of death? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay? Now, of course, sometimes, I'll just stop you for just a moment before I start going. Sometimes, people are in the valley of the shadow of death because of stupidity. That does happen. We all do that sometimes, right? So sometimes, you're in the valley of the shadow of death, not because the shepherd led you there, but because you wandered off on your own and got lost and ended up there. But what Psalm Psalm 23 is talking about is not that. That does happen and the amazing thing about God is in his goodness and mercy, even when you wander off and end up there because it's your own fault, when you call out to him, he still comes and comforts you. That's the amazing thing about God. But Psalm 23 isn't talking about the case where you wandered off on your own and ended up in the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23 is talking about something that the shepherd wants to do. Remember, we're Middle Eastern sheep, not Western sheep, just doing our own thing. And a Middle Eastern sheep, is only one way to survive, is you've got to follow the shepherd. And David's talking about the times which he will do to us when the shepherd, you're not in there because you did something wrong, you're in there because you did something right. You followed him, and he took you there on purpose. He himself, he's the one leading the flock, and you're listening to his voice, and you followed him, and he walked you right into the valley of the shadow of death. Now, a lot of Christians compound their suffering in the valley of the shadow of death. And above what it already should be, because the valley of the shadow of death, the fact that it's called the valley of the shadow of death, there's going to be suffering there. You follow the shepherd there and he's taking you into this place of of suffering and it's part of the path of righteousness. He he has to do it sometimes because he's got to kill stuff in us that isn't righteous. So he's got to take us into the valley of the shadow of death to drive us deeper into him, to grow us in trust, to grow us in goodness, to get rid of some of the junk in our lives. But some of us, when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we compound our suffering beyond the suffering that's already there in the valley of the shadow of death. And the way we compound our suffering is by tormenting ourselves with questions, whether subconscious or conscious, like, is God punishing me? Why am I here? So we go into the valley of the shadow of death, and the valley of the shadow of death is a place of suffering. We go in there, but then we make the suffering worse by thinking that God is punishing me. That's why I'm there. Many times Christians do this. I see this often. And they're in this place, and it's like, well, God, what what are you... What are you punishing me for? What did I do? What are you trying to, and, but oftentimes, it's because you were a good sheep he took you there. Hebrews talks about he disciplines those he loves. It's not, not punishment, he's not mad, but those he loves, he wants to work with us even more. So God, why are you punishing me? He's not punishing you, he's preparing you for a weight of glory and reward in eternity that you cannot even begin to imagine. He's not, you're not in the valley of the shadow of death because he's mad at you. You're in the valley of the shadow of death because he loves you so much. There's another way we torment ourselves, and that is, however we say it, it, it's sort of the attitude that comes out this way. This wasn't supposed to be part of the plan. So one way we torment ourselves is, God, are you punishing me? But another way we do it is, we all have plans for our lives. So I've got these plans. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And getting sick wasn't part of the plan. Losing a loved one wasn't part of the plan. We have this plan for our lives, and now suffering. Suddenly we're in the valley of the shadow of death, and in our dreams about our life and future, suffering wasn't part of that plan. And so when we're in there, our whole goal is just get me out of this suffering so I can get back to the plan I had for my life. And as long as you squirm that way, you're going to make the suffering that's already there a lot worse going to make the suffering that's already there a lot worse. See, God in his sovereignty, if he's the shepherd and we have to follow him day after day just to survive, if he takes you into the valley of the, of the shadow of death, it might not have been in your plans, but it was certainly in his plan. This is not an accident. This is not, oh, I didn't want this to be part of my story. I, I just, this is actually, he wrote your story and every day, book, the day in your life was written in a book. It says in Psalm 139 before you were born. Which means it's supposed to be part of your story. You didn't foresee it as being part of your story, but he saw it and he's the one that gets to write the piece of music that is your life. So the suffering is already bad enough, but when you then struggle with bitterness and anger because I'm just trying to get through this so I can get on with my life and you don't realize this is part of who he's making you and part of the story he's writing for you, you can't come to peace in it. And there comes a point when by God's grace we have to stop fighting against the pathway he's put us on. There comes a point when by God's grace we have to stop fighting against the path he's had us on and that he's chosen for us. I mean, isn't this what Jesus did in the Garden of Eden when he prayed, not my will but yours be done? I mean, that's a famous prayer that we love to quote as Christians. In fact, some of us like to pray it from time to time. I'm often too scared. Not my will, but yours be done. You know what that prayer is? Okay? I have a plan for my life, but actually, Father, your pathway is, that's the best one. And so you might have had plans for your life. These are all the things I'm going to do with my life. And you were assuming you were going to have health the whole time. And then sickness comes along. Now, this doesn't mean you can't pray for healing. Absolutely. The Bible tells us to pray for healing. You can pray for healing, and it's okay in the suffering that you don't like it, and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes, he's led you in there, and it's actually supposed to be part of your story. And at a certain point, we have to say, not my will, but yours be done. This is actually part of my story. And when you give up like that, you start asking different questions. It's not just about getting out of it anymore. You start to ask different questions, such as, Jesus, what do you want me to become in this valley? What are you trying to make me into? Or other questions like, who do you want to be for me in this valley? I'm not just trying to get out of it anymore. I finally let go and submit myself to your pathway for my life. If this is your plan, then what is it you want to be for me? What do you want me to learn about you? What is it you want me to become in this? And it's not that the suffering goes away, but we stop kicking against it so much. So your prayers begin to change. Maybe you saw yourself getting married and having a bunch of kids. Maybe that was your life plan, but maybe God is something different. Your life isn't a bust. Your life isn't a disappointment. You're exactly where God wants you to be. He's seen it all along, and he's sovereign and in control. The primary reason God put you here on earth was not so that you could be happy, but for his name's sake. When you remember that, that's when you're going to be able to let go, and that's when you're going to be able to experience happiness. So you had a life plan. You saw a certain, certain set of things happening. They didn't happen. It doesn't mean your life is a bust. It doesn't mean you missed it. It just means God had a different plan. Accept his plan. Well, I move on to the next thing. He takes us through the valley of the shadow of death and then we get to some more amazing promises. Verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So there's a, there's a future and a present sense to this promise, okay? And I want to focus mostly on the future sense. There is a present day sense in which this promise applies to us. But more of the fulfillment of this promise is for, the, is for the future. And so David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David is seeing ahead, okay? He is prophetically seeing ahead to a day when a Messiah, he didn't know him as Jesus yet, but Jesus is going to return someday. And in that day, okay, Jesus is going to set a big banquet for us, okay? But the point that David is hitting on here is actually a powerful, spectacular point. Jesus is not going to set up this banquet for us in private. He's going to do it for all the world to see. And the reason is, this is a beautiful, wonderful, amazing promise, is Jesus wants to vindicate his people. And so around the world right now we have our brothers and sisters around the world many of them go undergoing intense persecution whether it be in communist countries or muslim countries or wherever in different places our brothers and sisters around the world are going through intense persecution and they are they are lied about they are persecuted they are hurt they are slandered they are all these sorts of things And David is looking ahead to a day. He says, you've you've set a table in the presence of my enemies. He is looking forward to a day when God is going to have a banquet, when Jesus is going to have a banquet, and all his people are going to sit there, and the rest of the world is going to see, and he's going to show them, he's going to say, they were my people all along. See, because many of our brothers and sisters around the world are persecuted precisely because people who worship other gods say, this is, you, you serve the wrong God. Jesus is not God or whatever it is. And they punish and they persecute based on that. And Jesus as a day is coming when I'm going to set the table and the one true God is actually going to put an apron on, put a towel on, and he's going to serve us food in front of all the world to show them, these are my people. It's a day of vindication. And in that day, all the lies and slander. Do you know ever since the church was started 2,000 years ago, there's nothing new under the sun today. Ever since the very beginning, people have been lying about Christians. It's the devil's one of his favorite attacks against us. In the early Roman Empire, Christians were persecuted because of communion. People spread rumors in the Roman Empire that Christians like to drink blood because we talked about the flesh and blood of Jesus. So it was spread rumors that we were cannibals, that we like to drink blood, that we did bad things to babies. There was all kinds of weird stuff that spread around, and that's why persecution happened. It's been like that way for 2000 years. The people who have followed Jesus have been reviled and slandered and lied about. And the thing is, the lies just don't get set straight. But a day is coming when Jesus is going to come back to earth and, in front of the whole world, he's going to vindicate us, his people. And all the lies that the governments and media and different whatever organization of the world have spread about Jesus' people are going to in one moment come crashing down and the truth about how he sees us and who he is for us is going to be made known to the whole earth. We actually see an echo of this promise as well in the New Testament. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus makes a promise specifically to the church in um, Philadelphia and he says this, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down. Notice again, vindication. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. I'm going to vindicate you, he says to the church. Now, just time out. In our carnality, some of us might grab onto this promise with a kind of a revengeful spirit and be like, yeah! And that's not all bad. That's part of what David's doing there. But let us also remember, we don't hold on to this with a vengeful spirit. We want to see even our enemies come to Christ, right? So we don't hold on to this with a vengeful spirit. We hold on to this with a hopeful spirit that there is a day, because sometimes it just feels a bit hopeless. When the lies and the persecution around the world keep up against Christians, it sometimes feels a bit hopeless. But know that Jesus sees that, and there is a day coming when it will all be vindicated and set straight. And he will literally set a table for us in the presence of our enemies and it will be shown that we were his followers and that we loved him and that he loved us. And that will be a great day. And then after that, it continues, verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's how we know these last couple of verses are there is certainly a a, a present sense There's certainly a present sense. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. There's a sense that as I walk with him every day, his goodness and mercy overflows in me. So even when things are bad on the outside, goodness and mercy can follow me all the days of my life on my insides because I'm walking with him. But the fullness of this verse is talking about the future. We we can see that here where David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's talking about the day when we're going to be with God forever and never have to leave his presence. And in that day, after he sets a table for us in the presence of our enemies... In that day, he says, forevermore, for all of eternity, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Every day it's going to get better and better and better and better. And the amazing thing about this, we should be so firmly rooted in this hope. Um, It is so easy for us to lose track of the fact that this life is not the main thing. We get so caught up. How many of us, people bitter in the valley of the shadow of death? And it's like, I've had this disappointment and this disappointment and this disappointment and this disappointment. And sometimes Christians try to encourage these people with disappointments by saying, we've had so many disappointments, I'm sure it's just about to turn around. Do you know that for some people, this life, all it is, is disappointment? How many of you know there's the story of Horatio Spafford? He wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio Spafford wrote, it is well with my soul, okay? Horatio Spafford was a wealthy business person, in, uh, and he had many investments. In the big fire of Chicago, some late 1800s, uh, all of his businesses, every single one, that was back in the day before they had all kinds of insurance and different things, it all burnt down, he lost everything, okay? He then lost a son to, I forget what disease, he sent his four daughters and wife then away on a vacation. They got on a ship and they went to go across the ocean and the ship sank and all four of his daughters died, okay? And then you think, well, and, then, and that's when he wrote, then he went to go see them. He got on the boat and it's that, he was passing over sort of the spot where he thought, you know, they had gone down and he, and he wrote this amazing song we still sing today as well with my soul. And we think, well, and then after that, he lived happily ever after. Actually that, after that, the stress of all the stuff he went through burdened him so much that he ended up with a mental illness and he died some years later thinking he was the Messiah. And you go, now that's a happy story. Thanks for sharing that. (laughs) See, because we always want our stories to have a happy ending. Let me tell you the happy ending to Horatio Spafford's story. He's in heaven. It doesn't always end up happy here. Sometimes it's disappointment, 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 and then more disappointment in the second half how do you handle disappointment that doesn't end here's how you handle it the way the biblical writers handled it and that is this life isn't all there is in fact it's not the main thing it's just a little prelude it's a test before you enter your real life which is eternity see we have been trapped into thinking of eternity as sort of the vacation after the real life no Here's the thing. Even if you never use your gifts and talents and abilities for God here, he didn't give you your gifts and talents and abilities just for this short little life. He gave them to you to use in eternity. It's in eternity when we're going to really experience life. When we're really going to serve him. When we're really going to come alive. So this life is a test. And we've got to firmly root our hope in the future so we don't get bitter about now. When you firmly root your hope in the future, then when things go bad now, you don't get bitter because where does that bitterness come from? It comes from thinking this life is all there is and I just lost my shot to have a good life. But when we realize this is just a little bumpy prelude, it's going to be over like this and then we're going to live for millions and millions of years and every day is going to get better than the next and we're going to know more and more and more. And we're going to serve them, we're going to have adventures, we're going to discover, we're going to learn, we're going to serve. All those sorts of things, when you realize that, you go, oh, I've had kind of a sucky life here, good thing it's not long. Like, don't don't pray for me to live 100, 120 years. I at a certain point. Just let me go, right? I just want to go and be with Jesus. So here's a weekly challenge for you. Read a psalm again each day to start your devotions. I hope you're not sick of reading the psalms yet. There's 150 of them, so we have a lot of weekly challenges ahead of us. (laughs) If you're in a valley or deeply disappointed with the way something In your life is going or has gone. I want you to try a couple of questions. Ask God what he wants to form in you in the midst of that valley, in the midst of that disappointment. Second, ask God what he wants to be for you in that valley or disappointment. And then lastly, ask God to help you embrace the pathway he's put you on. The struggles he's put in your life, maybe you don't want them there, but he says they're supposed to be part of your story. This is good for you. This is part of your paths of righteousness. Ask him to help you embrace the path of righteousness he's put you on. Let's pray and then we'll sing a final song. Father, you are good. You're the good shepherd. We need you every single day. Give us a new picture picture of pastors and shepherds and sheep that we may have a humble dependence on you day by day. Give us your Holy Spirit to help us embrace the path you've put us on help us lord jesus to grow in our hope for the future that the day is coming when you will vindicate us and the day is coming when goodness and mercy will follow us all the days forever and ever thank you jesus for your love and compassion to us in your name we pray amen thank you for listening to this message from southland church for more information or to download this and many other messages please visit us at myselfland.com.